Almost all the time, people need to do a really good job. Every once in a while, they're gonna make a mistake. Every a little bit longer than that, they're gonna make a really big mistake. And those should just be expectations of humans. You're gonna have a bad day that's so bad it distracts you from what you're doing. You're gonna have days that are misses. You're gonna have days that are wins where you get it. And it just needs to be okay to do that. Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. So if this is your first time tuning in, I want to take a minute and just welcome you into the Kelly family and let you know that we exist for you. So if you're an organizational leader, maybe you're wrestling through some tough challenges uh, wherever you are in the leadership journey, maybe you're looking for some personal advice, maybe you're looking for team advice, how to get through situations, how do we merge appropriately, how do we make this best financial decision, how do we even look at the data you know, within an organization. Maybe you want to get a hold of our faculty, see what research is out there, see what are the cutting edge trends or things to be willing to... that we need to be aware of um, so we can make better business decisions or you just know of a person who would make a great guest for our show, send us an email to ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at dot E-D-U. Again, R-O-I-P-O-D at E-D-U. Well, last week we started a conversation with Mason McDonald, who's an executive consultant who's solving problems to increase organizational growth, all about how do we look at human resources? How do we see the humanity within our organization? We started to redefine how human resources should be approached, what language we should be getting to use, starting with how do we even talk about human resources and begin to change the conversation, change the language we use. And then we moved into how do we as organizational leaders change? How do we look at ourselves to get inventory? Are we, are we doing the right thing? Are we, um, you know, are we even in a healthy place? Do we really see and value the people who make our organization great? And then how do we fix that? How do we look into ourselves and begin to practically make changes that begin to bring about the change in our organization we look for? So this week, we're going to take it a step further. Now that as an organizational leader, we're making ourselves aware, we're beginning to practice asking the conversation, just simply saying, how are you? No, really. How are you? What's going on? What's making your day great? What's making your day not, not so great? What's making you not even know if your day is great or not so great? You know, getting to some of those secondary questions and, and beginning those conversations, we are going to look at how do we begin to create systems? How do we begin to address very specific and real instances when it comes to dealing with people in organization? Because everyone's emotional. Everyone has life outside of the eight to five or the nine to five or whatever it is. Everyone has challenges that they bring in with them. So how are we going to do that? Again, Mason, just thank you so much. We're so honored to have you back and I'm excited for this conversation. Thank you, Matt. It's an honor to be here. So let's, let's hit it. I want to hit you know, the, the question right out the gate, you know, uh, how many times have we had organizational leaders or managers that we worked with who either listen to a podcast, read a book, go to a conference, get so energized because they're so excited to bring about change in the organization for only, you know, the water cooler conversation to be, give it a week or two, 
we're going to go back to normal. He says he wants this to happen or she wants this to happen, but give it a week or two and we'll probably go back to normal. So for the from the very onset, I want to approach that. What do organizational leaders need to do in order to combat that perception and really show this is a change that's going to be around forever. Like we're not, we're not going to go back to the way things were because the way things were simply weren't working. Yeah. So if you're having an issue in your organization where people don't assume you're consistent, it's probably because you're very inconsistent. And what they're challenging is what they've seen, whether you think they're right or not. If they, if they think that it's indicative of your character that and your, how you carry yourself, that you're going to come back excited about something, flash in the pan, and then it dissipates and nobody talks about it again, that's probably because you do that or have done that enough that it's an issue and that people believe it's true. And you should address that. And how that plays out is a lot of people consume content at the rate of consumption. As fast as they can consume it, they consume it. But I think a smarter way to do it is to consume at the rate of implementation. Consume content as fast as you can actually implement it in your life. So as we make that approach, you know, we, we start to see, hey, I really do care. You know, I mean, hey, I, that, that could be a whole other topic, talking about the consistency as a leader and how, it, um, how, you, how you're viewed because your team does view you. And whether you agree, I think you made a great point, whether you agree with them or not, they're right because they see it and they're the ones that are making that judgment and they're the ones that that's an opinion now you have to battle. Um, but when it comes to, you know, getting into the, the heart of dealing with people, People have a lot of baggage. People bring in, you know, the happiest times of their life comes into the workplace and the saddest times of their life come into the workplace. And, you know, I think a lot of times the failure of a lot of organizational leaders is I just don't know what to do with tough situations. I don't know how to kind of balance like I want to care, but at the same time, like we have a job to get done and I don't want this to slow down. And it's not that, you know, the Maybe the, in- the intention's not bad. It's maybe how we approach some of those situations. So how do organizational leaders, you know, begin to prime, before we get into specific examples, how do organizational leaders need to re, how should they redefine the way that they see their team in a company? How do we begin to look at our team and say, okay, these are people and it's okay to be human in the workplace because there is a culture sometimes, I think, that forces you to have a separate life. What happens between nine to five is totally separate from what happens outside of nine to five. When I've, what happens in these walls or at home or wherever you're quote unquote working is different from when you're not working. And, and we almost feel like we're living double lives. So how do we as an organizational leader begin to address that and say, okay, what is okay to bring into the office as far as my humanity? So I believe that organizations need to make it okay for them not to be the most important thing in someone's life. I run a company, someone works for me, I am not the most important thing in their life. When they show up and I'm paying them, by and large, they need to do a really good job the majority of the time. The way that an oversimplified way to look at it is that almost all the time, people need to do a really good job. Every once in a while, uh, they're going to make a mistake every a little bit longer than that. They're going to make a really big mistake. And those should just be expectations of humans. That's what's going to happen. You're going to have a bad day that's so bad it distracts you from what you're doing. You're going to have days that are misses. You're going to have days that are wins where you get it. And it just needs to be okay to do that. They have to produce. We have to figure out how to 
hit the KPIs that everybody has. We have to do it, but they still, they still are humans, and it has to be a safe place to do that, and not in some overbearing, over-emotional way. It just, we just have to be okay that we're not the most important thing in people's lives. You know, organizational leaders, let's say they have someone that comes on their team and, you know, they got a bad diagnosis. Maybe a family member just, you know, received a terrible health, health news. Uh, maybe they just lost someone. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's fill in the blank, whatever just realities of life that just hit hard, you know, hit all of us at some point in time. You know, they're just dealing with that and they're coming into the office and, you know, you want to approach and you want to help. But a lot of times the organizational leader, we either A, don't want to make it worse. So we'll try to say nothing and hope that we don't make it worse because we don't want to say the wrong thing or B, you know, mm-hmm. did not be sensitive enough or B, maybe we just go the total opposite way. Maybe we become too overbearing or we become too, you know, like it just comes off as fake or, you know, we're not really caring. How do organizational leaders approach tough conversations like that? You know, when you see a team member who is really hurting, they're bringing some baggage in from, from life, whatever that variable is or whatever that horrible thing is, you know, what do organizational leaders need to do even before that conversation happens to prepare to get invested into their team member's life? So I'm not going to answer this as an HR policy expert because that whole world has lots of opinions on that. Um, The majority of my background is from a pastor's perspective and caring for a human actually predominantly when they're going through really tough times. And so I think you have to read the person. There's people where you know just from being in relationship with them that a handshake would be very inappropriate. They just don't even want touched in any way at all, in any way. There's some people where you just say hello and they open up their entire, every deepest, darkest secret they have and everything with them. So there's like a giant spectrum of people and where they're at on. I think you gotta be smart. You have to be, you have to have a high emotional intelligence as a leader, um, which should be a priority because you're responsible for people. Um, you should have a high emotional intelligence and emotional intelligence will give you the ability to see this person wants a conversation or they don't. and you you have to have eyes to see what they need figure out what they need and make that possible for some people that is a conversation and sometimes you know and there's lots of social strategies on what's wise and what's not who's present who's not you know there's lots of things uh, so we can't give cut and dry answers on that but you need to know the person that you're talking to and see them see the human sitting in front of you and assess what they need sometimes they need a conversation sometimes they need 30 minutes alone and you just let them do it. Sometimes it's like, have you? Why don't you go take? Why don't you go to lunch right now, and just come back a little bit later? And it doesn't need addressed. A lot of people don't need it spoken to, spoken about. They don't. A lot of people don't want their dirty laundry aired at the office, and they don't want to know about it. But you, as a leader, are responsible for having the emotional intelligence to see, to know the condition of the person sitting in front of you. That's what you're responsible for. And you have to use your judgment and company policies and what makes sense from that to make good decisions on what you do with that information. You know, and talk about the importance of early on, you know, before you get to that point, because obviously, you know, sometimes we just can't avoid it. Sometimes we don't know because some people just don't want to open up or, um, and it just comes in like a ton, like, like a freight train where it's like, oh man, like, I don't really know what to do here. But talk about the importance though of, of leading up to that moment, like how important it is for an organizational leader to be invested in their team members' lives 
you know, before that. So maybe, uh, you know, a, a bomb like that, you know, finding out, oh man, I'm going through a divorce. You know, it doesn't come as a complete shock. Maybe there's conversations that are leading up to that or, you know, what, talk about the importance of that investment before those tough situations come. So the process of having a voice in someone's life is earning it and you earn a voice by consistently being present, having a conversation, asking them how they're doing, asking good questions, leaders at good leaders, ask good questions, you know, and going through that process where you actually just care in a, it can be 30 seconds of, Hey, Marty, how are you today? How's everything going? Um, you told me you guys had a new baby. How's it going? How are they doing now? Sleeping through the night yet? Ooh, sorry, man. Those times are tough. And you, you do years of that. You do times of that where you actually care. Conversations change. You'll see where people's boundaries are, where they want you to go, where they don't. And you, I'll take as high of a voice as is wise and as, as someone would let me. And I think you bring up a good point. Uh, there are those times where you may say the wrong thing or you may do the wrong thing. Hopefully it's not in those really tough points, but heck, let's say it is. Let's say, you know, you did say the wrong thing. How important is it or what organizational leaders or what does anyone need to do in those situations to, you know, offer themselves like some grace in the situation? And how do you, how do you just address that before it becomes, I can't believe they said that. And then we stop talking to each other. And then, you know, there's this like resentment and then there's nothing spoken about in which we all know what happens if any of us have family or friends and you have an issue that bubbles out of control because you're not talking about it. You know, talk about, you know, what happens in those moments when we do say the wrong thing, what do we do? We say, I'm sorry, I said the wrong thing. It's important because you got you have to kill monsters while they're small. You talk about um, I have lots of personal experience in distant family where very small, insignificant things became very significant only because no one had the courage and emotional intelligence and boldness to see it and say something and acknowledge it and just say, I'm sorry, I messed up. But that's a hard thing to do at times for, for a lot of us because, you know, we, we don't want to look weak. Saying you're sorry might be perceived as a weakness. Sometimes saying you're sorry comes with embracing humility, which I guess that goes as to the character of a leader if you're not at that point and you don't want to say, I'm sorry. Um, but I think, you know, too, you know, sometimes there's that um, there's that fear of, man, I, I'm making a monster because I said something wrong, you know, from the opposite side. So maybe you're the one that's hurting, but I said something that was maybe insensitive, realized it was insensitive. Now I'm the one making the monster because I think, to your point, the monster is even bigger on my end because I think I'm interpreting it for you, you know? And so how do you address that fear? Like, how do you just push through and just let yourself just be okay, like address it and say, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Apologizing is not a weakness. Uh, someone who's afraid of apologizing is probably insecure because you're the only one if you don't apologize, you're the only one who's deceived into thinking that you shouldn't apologize. When you make a mistake, you made a mistake. And most issues we see in big headlines are mistakes that happen that get covered up. Not in, not in a, we're wise and we're protecting people, we're not airing their dirty laundry, but no, I just won't admit it's a mistake. I just, I just won't admit it. It's not a mistake, I didn't mess up. Yeah, that's the, they're just, they're sensitive, it's their fault. And that's, that's not true. It's okay to apologize. People create teams and our teams create, you know, our organizations. And when we're dealing with people, there's a lot of personality that is in the room 
at the table within conversations from introverts, extroverts to the bubbly to the, you know, doom and gloom to the I'm a realist to fill in the blank. I mean, we have personalities like crazy. How, you know, and in times like you said, you, you said something about it, you say hello to someone and they'll tell you they're everything. They'll just open up and tell you everything. And there are people where you feel like you're just asking question after question after question to try to get to them. And they're just like, I don't, I don't really want to do this. So in those dynamics, let's say I'm an organizational leader who is very personable and, you know, I'm wanting to have a conversation with someone on my team who's not so personable, like kind of like, Hey, I'm just here to do my thing. Like, you know, we're, we're cool. How do we, how do we approach those, um, those boundaries and conversations? How do we be aware of ourselves enough to know where boundaries are? Like, how do we begin to start seeing boundaries and where we should draw those lines? You first have to know yourself and who you are, and we have to be able to wield our personality well. I have a big personality. I can be overbearing. I can very personable. I can get way deeper than you ever wanted to go and have the social skills to get you to do it, but you don't want to do it. And that's, that's not okay. <laughs> you need to, you need to know the person you're sitting in front of, read the boundaries, which is what you're asking. How do you see, how do you, how do you perceive that? And I always view social situations as a game of tennis. It's a fun way to see it. If I hit the ball and it goes over the net, as in I ask a question, I make a statement and it doesn't come back over. I'm like, okay, maybe they just missed the surf. I'll try again. And you hit the ball back over the net, ask another question, ask another thing. And it doesn't come back over. They don't want to play tennis. That's okay. That's okay to do that. And, but you have to know that because how long do you want to play tennis by yourself with the ball not coming over? You can't hold that many balls. It's just gonna be an awful game of tennis. So just don't do it. Stop playing. And I think too, you know, kind of flipping the script away from, you know, just the terrible times, because I mean, a lot of times, you know, those are the hard conversations to have and are very important to address. But then I think sometimes, you know, we may put too much focus on how do we lead people in the terrible times or the person that's always complaining or the person who's always negative, because sometimes that can get lumped into, well, they're in a rough spot, so I want to help them. But then we forget about people who have the celebrations of life. You know, they did have that baby, which, you know, I'm if you're having a baby and if someone's in the office having a baby, like everyone knows whether you want to know or not. Yeah. And it, uh, but there are things like, you know, maybe a kid won a soccer game. Maybe they went, you know, won their championship that weekend. Maybe there's a hobby, you know, someone's doing and they just sold their first, you know, like table because they, they're into woodworking and they, mm-hmm. you know, there's all these little wins that happen that almost get swept under the rug sometimes or overlooked because we're addressing with fires or we're dealing with the negative side. You know, how do we also make ourselves aware as organizational leaders to remind ourselves, no, like where can I find the wins? Where can we celebrate things together while balancing that some of the negatives as well? You should never miss a big event in someone's life ever. Funerals, weddings, things like that. Be present for those. You may not be literally invited for the wedding, but what's it cost you to take a moment and say, I heard your mother just died and I'm, I just want you to know we're thinking about you or you just had a baby. How in the world are you doing? You don't look as tired as I expected you to be. You know, that's easy. A little card, a thank you card, flowers to the wife who's at home with the baby. You know, just noticing that something happened in their life that was significant and recognizing it in some way. Do that first. Don't miss the big ones. And then once you get good at getting the big ones, then you can start doing the little ones. Hey, I saw, I heard through the grapevine that you sold your first table. That's awesome. Congratulations. Or, hey, I've been looking for a table. 
what can you do? You know, just you can get farther down into the little ones and the people where the ball comes back over the net a lot, that gives you the chance to do that. And they let you into their life in that way. But don't miss the big ones. And when you get good at getting the big ones, then you can start hitting the little ones. Yeah, I want to move into a little bit about, you know, team tension. Because when you talk about humans and you talk about people at the table and you talk about us coming together and getting to know each other, I mean, you're going to have different political beliefs, different religious beliefs, different ways of viewing the world, different ways of viewing the business. You know, we have, hey, as an organization, this is where we need to go. And you're going to get conversations where, well, I think we need to do this. And the other person say, actually, we need to do this. And as a leader, we're having to we're having to manage that, you know, so getting into some of the basic, you know, conflict revolution resolutions and, and tension disarmament, you know, mm-hmm. how do we approach those where at the end, you know, we can all, how do we do conflict healthy within our team that produces results, but at the same time allows everyone to say, hey, you know, we're, we're a team. Healthy teams do fight well. They do fight. Healthy teams fight. That is a mark of a healthy team, but they fight well. And you, you have to be willing to walk away from a table disagreeing and a play still be called that you run with. That's a healthy team. Nobody gets the chance to argue with the quarterback very much on what call is being played. They don't. They may disagree, but they walk away and they run the play really well and they talk about it. So as far as running the play, that's how I would do that. And as we begin to um, you know, bring all this home, let's say we, we're, we as organizational leaders, we have really started to see a difference in our teams. We see people coming together that we never thought would come together. We see people wanting to stay because, you know, the people that they're around and, and not want to run off to the next great job. Um, you know, we're starting to see these things. And we're starting to see the results of fighting for our team as a leader. How then do we defend that? Because when people come in and new leadership comes in and new people come in, we're still there's they might try to bring in different ways of doing it. You might have a manager that you're bringing in from the outside who's coming. Well, I got results in my company from doing this. I it's, I'm going to do it here. I'm going to get the same results. Totally neglecting the fact that, you no, know, like we, we are fighting for this culture. We fought really hard to get here, and now we're going to keep fighting. So how does organizational leaders, do we defend what we fought for as far as I want people to feel as though they belong and they're part of this organizational family? So culture drifts. It's a natural byproduct of just humanity. This, our entire world tends towards disorder in it you know, things erode and they decay, things like that. Culture does the same thing. And you as the leader, being anyone leading it wherever they sit, you are a culture warrior. Your job is to fight to make sure that we have the culture that we want to. And A. And then B, you have to make sure you're the warrior that's fighting the right thing. You're fighting culture, not people. So you use your ability as a culture warrior to defeat the situation, not the person. If you defeat the person, you destroy the culture you're trying to fight for. You defeat the situation. Again, Mason McDonald, executive consultant who's solving problems to increase organizational growth. Such an honor for you to share your wisdom and thank you for offering uh, you know, such great valuable insight into how do we see our teams. Thank you, Matt. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.